This is a Sport Australia podcast production. Hello and welcome to our coaching and officiating podcast series. My name is Cam Trudell and I'm the project lead for coaching and officiating at Sport Australia. Over this series, we will look at what it takes to modernise Australia's coaching and officiating system. Each podcast, we will be joined by a special guest who will share experiences and practical tips on their topics. In this episode, we dive into the world of officiating with rugby union referee Amy Perrett. Amy has officiated at the Women's World 7 Series, the 2016 Rio Olympic Games, the Women's World Cup Rugby Final in 2014, and will officiate at the upcoming Tokyo Olympic Games. In 2020, Amy became the first female to take charge with the whistle in a super rugby match. Welcome, Amy. How are you? I'm, I'm really good. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Fantastic. Thank you. Amy, I'd be really interested to understand, knowing that you have refereed at all levels and seeing you at the at the super rugby level, do you have a process or, or what are your processes with regards to making decisions? And, you know, basing them on what you see and how do you navigate through decision-making? Decision-making now that I've I've been referring now for 18, 19 or years. So at the moment now, it's all based on on gut instinct. Um, But to kind of get to that stage, um, you you go through a a lot of different things um, from when you you start to when you get to elite. Um, In rugby, um, we have checklists for everything because, you know, so much is going on at a tackle or a ruck. Um, an average bun who doesn't know rugby would probably think, what just happened there? Um, so, so we, we formulate these kind of checklists and they, they give us a process of, on what we need to look at at, at each stage um, of, of a tackle, of a ruck, of a mall, a line-out, all, all different aspects of the game. Um, and as you're learning and, and developing those kind of decision-making skills, they're the things that you're, you're going over um, at each phase. And the more experience you get, um, the better you get at it, where it starts to become that gut feel, that more instinctual kind of decision-making mode. Um, once you figure all that out, it's funny because you'll start seeing refs then show that they know everything and probably over-penalise things um, and become way too technical. Um, so once you realise you've gone through that phase and you blow 40 penalties in a game, um, most of the crowd are kind of letting you know that that's not what they want. <laughs> um, we go through like a, another phase where we, we talk about making relevant decisions. So um, again, we can be very technical. I'm sure in any breakdown you could you could find a penalty that you want. But then we start talking about making a relevant decision. So has the, the, the is it is it a fair contest? Is it an even fair contest? If that's if that's good, then we can kind of we can play away from that line of infringement. Um, is the ball quick? Is, is, a, is a team in, in attack um, able to get the ball as quick as, as, they, as they can? If they can, then we say, okay, we can play away from that infringement. It, they're, the, I guess, the two key things that we kind of talk about, whether it's a fair contest or whether the speed of the ball has been affected. And they now come into play around um, our relevant decision-making. Um, and as I said, the longer you kind of do it, um, it starts to become more of a gut instinct, and I don't know how many times where you might, I've, I've overthought a decision and didn't trust my gut, and I ended up being wrong. Um, so that's kind of now what I kind of fall back on 
is always just kind of I've I've got the experience. Um, I've read all different styles and and types of games to kind of get me that experience. Um, to trust to kind of trust those 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 gut instincts. And there'll be times that I'm wrong, um, and that's okay because that's another big part of our decision making process and, and your the journey to get to where you need to be. Is you, you learn from those mistakes. Again, in rugby, some really weird stuff happens, and it might only happen once in your whole career. Um, but you learn from it, uh, and you move on and you figure out different ways. So that kind of either you prepare for it again, or um, it actually doesn't happen again, or or you can pass it on to someone else so it doesn't happen to them, or, or they're more prepared for it as well. Um, and then when you get to super rugby level, um, you just kind of have to be really confident. Um, as you said, there's a lot of pressure coming at you from you know, the crowd because they can watch a big screen. There's commentators who don't necessarily agree with your decision. Um, players and coaches um, giving their two cents. So again, it's just having having confidence in, your, in yourself to be able to say, okay, this is what I've seen. Um, right or wrong, this is how I'm going to call it. Um, and then just move on from there. And most of the time, um, you actually are correct. So I think that's just having that confidence when you're going to get to that stage. Once you go through all your different phases, you're going to get to this stage where you can, can back that. So like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. You will go through those different kind of phases um, in decision-making before you can, can get to that stage where you're confident and you can you can trust your gut and back yourself. Yeah, that's interesting that you, you talk about the stages because having that feel for the game becomes really important and it's where well, you're looking at the impact of an infringement versus the severity, if you know what I mean. I like the fact you talk about it's it's a real feel. I think there's there's a lot in that. Yeah, and definitely you can have um, you don't have to, have to have a feel for the game when you get to the professional level. Having a feel for the game is so important at community level. Um, understanding what the players are trying to get out of out of the game, and, and most of the time they just want to have fun, play play the game with their mates, um, and have a game that can can flow and, and move and not stop and start all the time. So. Again, like I said, when normally we're referring community rugby when we go to that stage where we try to prove that we know everything and might blow 40-odd penalties in a game, which is just way too much. Um, it's really important, more so probably at that community level, that you just you understand that, that you get that flow. You let the, let the guys play. You don't have to be perfect. Um, and, and they'll appreciate that better. And, and, and overall, I think everyone from players, spectators, and this will have a better experience. You talked a bit there about your communication and the different stakeholders that you need to communicate with. On the field, you're a very clear communicator. How did you hone those skills to be precise, to make your call, to communicate well? And then what's some of the other uh, ways that you need to communicate? I'm guessing that after games or you know, in reviews, you've got coaches that may come and ask questions. How do you best find your method or your way of communicating and you know how effective do you find that you are in, in your communication? Again, like communication has been a, a big part of, of the journey. Um, when you start, you probably don't say a lot because you just don't know what's happening. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's best to just say nothing at all. But then again, as you move on, you start commentating the game and talk too much and then you start to learn when players respond and when they don't, depending on what kind of things you might say. Um, and I found along the way just being really short, sharp and to the point is, is the best thing for players and 
in our, the outside spectators to understand. Um, because if you, you walk along and over-explain something, particularly when people are under fatigue, the rest might, as myself, might not make sense because I'm tired. <laughs> um, the players probably just don't understand what you've said. So if you just keep it to, to one or two like really simple messages, um, they have a far better impact um, on the game than either commentating throughout the, the whole game or saying nothing at all. And it's about picking when you come in and when you when you need to to stay out. You only want to come in when you actually have to manage a play and you think you'll get an outcome. There's no point saying stuff. Um, if you know you're not going to get the outcome you design, you're probably just going to give a penalty anyway. Or they've actually done the right thing um, and you just don't need to say anything at all. And so the one big thing I've found that's helped my communication is, not, is refereeing seven. Um there's not a lot of time to talk. So when you do get that opportunity, it has to be relevant, it has to be impactful um, for people to, to understand it and, and get those kind of changes that you want to see. So I feel like that's been played a huge part in, in where I've gotten now. Um, another thing is like the first time I heard myself um, at community level, I think I was doing a women's, I was pointing to a women's nationals tournament and they, that was the first time I'd seen footage and heard myself. And it's a very uncomfortable moment the first time you hear yourself referring because you just don't realise what you say uh, and how often you say. And even just the, the tone of your voice, you don't realise it's like that. So you, you, you learn from where you can. Um, listening back to, to your conversations, to your tone of voice, um, when you decided to say something when you, you didn't and whether that was the right thing at, at that time um, of the game. And then communication, I guess, um, post-match and with coaches can always be a little bit tricky depending on how the game went. Um, pre-match, they normally send you um, things that the other team are doing wrong <laughs> just to um, kind of put those kind of images in your head and, and that could manipulate you either way. Um, potentially, I think that might be the intention. And then post-match, you know, you've got to really think about how you how you, how you talk to a coach um, after the game. You don't want to put yourself in, um, in a corner or the next time you might have them the week after where they said, you promise you would do this. So it's really, it's a bit of a chess match almost and a bit of an arm wrestle still post-match when you, when you communicate. Because um, there'll be times where, um, you know, they just, they're just venting um, because they're probably under pressure. So you've got to understand that and not get overly offended or it's nothing personal. It's just part of the job. But there are other times where you need to really just back yourself and say, oh, I would, this decision was correct for these these reasons. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bit of an armless one. And what I find helps um, is my referee coach. So... The person I trust to be able to tell me um, or to assist me when I review my games is um, so I'm pretty good post like reviewing games of, of round decisions, um, but not scrums. I always um, that's one area that I'm never 100 percent confident. So I always um, seek help um, to make sure I got my decision as you like. But around a tackle and in those kind of areas, you know, for me, I I can sit in review and go, oh, I got that one wrong, or I got that one right. So I don't really need extra eyes for that book. Where I, I do use my coach is around those in, interactions um, 
with players, um, understanding the flow or, or, or dominance, rewarding teams who are being dominant, uh, allowing the game, or whether they set up the game so that they could could get that nice flow and, and open rugby towards the back end of the players kind of just did their thing and I didn't have to come in. So those kind of um, different aspects I'd, I'd go to my, my referee coach and talk to them about. It's so important to have that sounding board and it sounds like you've got great self-awareness and self-reflection, but to have those extra set of eyes on those areas that you're unsure, I mean, maybe the gaps or where you could, could improve and be better. That's really interesting that, that you rely on it heavily too. Yeah, definitely. I think in all all stages, like no one's perfect and you you always have to have kind of that growth mindset where you have to, you know, you're constantly learning something new. Each game's going to present a new learning, a new challenge, um, and you kind of got to embrace it if you if you want to get better. You're never going to be perfect, um, and there's always something that you can work on for your next game. And having that person to kind of bounce those ideas or only helps you kind of reach those kind of those work ons and those goals that you need to make. Because if you're just doing it on your own, you might not realise you do something, and it could be just a tiny little fix, and it can improve your game immensely. Entry into anything with a growth mindset's fantastic. Shifting gears a little bit, you've been refereeing 15s at Super Rugby and changing gears now to 7s uh, Rugby, having been appointed to officiate at the Olympics. How do you manage the two of those? Because they're two fairly distinct sports, or fairly different sports. Even though the skills are the same, it's, it's a different pace and a different mindset. How do you go about swapping between the two sports, especially at the elite level? Yeah, I've, it's something um, I think everyone struggles with, uh, even the players um, coming back. For me, I find it harder to come back into 15. Sevens, um, the game of sevens, I think just so more natural and comfortable in. It suits the style of, of who, my, like my personality, I think, um, because I, I, I actually don't like going up and having to talk to people all the time on the field or do the pre-match. Um, whereas in sevens, you know, I don't have to say much. I can just blow my whistle, move on. The game doesn't last very long. Um, I can reflect straight away on that game because then I've got another game in about an hour or two hours. So I'm not sitting on something for a whole week um, overthinking um, things that I did in the game. I can just get straight into it uh, and move on. But I think the key things that um, are different and, and can be very difficult is you know, decision-making in, in seven is very black and white. We don't operate really in that grey area. You're either infringed or you haven't. And, and there's not a lot of management. Um, so you see something, you generally just penalise it and move on. And it's good because the players accept that as well. What they want to do is they just want to take a quick tap and move on. There's no kind of um, arguing or, like I said, there's, there's not really that chess match or that, that arm wrestle with captains that you're trying to deal with to try that you you're trying to work with it, you know, you know, either way, everyone's trying to manipulate someone um, to their advantage. Um, so when I come back into to 15, um, what I really try and focus on is, is making those relevant decisions, taking a breath before I call something because the instinct is to just put my, my hand and my whistle to my mouth and, and blow a penalty. So it's just taking that extra half a second just to see what's happening Um whether I can play away from, from something or whether I, I need to, to blow that penalty um, then and there. So it takes a few weeks to kind of get that feel back um, because like I said, like seven is, is that start, stop, not a, a lot of flow because you, you do blow a lot of penalties. You might blow like 
10 penalties in 14 minutes, which is which is a lot. Um, in 15, you, you wouldn't dare to do that um, unless you start giving out a lot of cards. And, but then the spotlight's on you, which is, again, something you don't really want. So, yeah, it, for me, it takes a, a few... Uh, actually, even the number of people on the field um, can be quite difficult um, around a tackle or a ruck because when it's one-on-one, it's very easy to see what's happening. So when you've got three or four people... Um, diving into something, you kind of get oh, um, get a bit lost sometimes. So um, and, and then that makes you uncomfortable. When sometimes when you're uncomfortable, that's when you you revert to to what you know, and that's um, probably whistling mouth. <laughs> so yeah, just being really clear that I just need to take my time, get get the feel for the game, don't impose myself too much, and um, in the first like, ten minutes, I start to get that that feel back and. And I'm, I'm like, there'll still be a few decisions that I'll look at and view and go, oh, I didn't need to call them. Um, they're a bit pedantic, they're seven penalty. But um, yeah, just reflecting on that during the game and then after the game. And then hopefully the, the next week I, um, I'm a bit better, I get, I get a, bit, a bit more flow and, and all those kind of things. Amy, thanks very much for your time this afternoon and sharing your insights. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to find out more about coaching and officiating or have any feedback or questions, please email us at workforce at sportoz.gov.au. My name is Cam Trudell and I look forward to you joining me for the next podcast in the Coaching and Officiating series.